This is Playing Around with Paige Renee. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Playing Around. Of course, we are joined by Teddy G and we have two special guests today. Some of my favorites in the golf industry, Alan Shipnuck and Matt Janella. I don't say that about many people, but you guys have been great friends along the way. So thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us, Paige. And Teddy, good to see you, buddy. You too, Maddie G. So it's funny because you guys all know each other and you have like <laughs> extensive history. You've been in the industry all together for a while now, right? Yeah, we all go back to Sports Illustrated in the 90s. Right. Um, and of course, we've crossed paths many times since then. Teddy was in the newspaper biz in, in Chicago, but I uh, saw him in a million press rooms and Matt was part of all that. So yeah, we, we've been sort of, uh, we played some golf. Golf, had some meals, had some beers, and just uh, a lot of a lot of small talk along the way. I was going to say 1995 is when I joined Sports Illustrated. I think Alan probably the same, right? 94, yeah. And Teddy, when when you, what years were you there? I was there 94 to 96. Yeah, so we that we had that overlap, and you know, I I, I guess we kind of knew it at the time, but that we were there at sort of the last great era of a news weekly the idea of a news weekly in in the mid 90s actually mattered and then tiger woods turned pro in 1996 so of course um golf changed forever but th- it was a very special time to be in you know midtown manhattan at a place like sports illustrated and then be able to keep having these relationships and be <laughs> on like a call right now like this is pretty 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 amazing 25 years later yeah we were still at si i think it was the remnants of the Mad Men era, where uh, it was expected that you would go to lunch, have some martinis, and uh, spend a lot of money on the road. Alan, kind of a legendary figure as a prodigy, uh, writing cover stories when he was about 12 <laughs> years old. That was always a big mention there. And uh, I think Matty G is my second favorite Instagram follow after Paige. That guy is uh, an artist. His stuff out at Cypress was amazing. While you guys were having martinis, I was two years old at that time. So <laughs> you're pretty old. <laughs> you know, I had a I had a window office in the Time Life building. And, you know, in, in being in your early 20s in New York, working at Sports Illustrated, it was like that. That was a place where I could actually, you know, I we bring dates back to the time. <laughs> I, I would I would sort of grease the security guys and be like, just look the other way. Just, I, I don't have another place to go. This is the best I got. I'm sure I'm not bringing it back to my apartment with my four other roommates. So this is the, I'm going to go with time life building. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. We'll get into more of that later on in today's episode. But I have only played golf with Matt. Who's the best golfer out of you three? That's me. Don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> so Matt and I are basically the same golfer. We're both like around a six, seven handicap, wildly inconsistent. And we'll go out and play matches on these really great golf courses. And we'll have like three holes. It's just birdies, bogeys, others, uh, crazy stuff happens. It seems like no matter what, we always get to the 18th tee and we're all square despite everything. And, uh, but I think history would show that I probably won the 18th hole about 51% of the time. And, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's close put it that way. Although I have to say, unfortunately, Matt's getting better and I've kind of flatlined. So the last, the last six months or, or so he's been on a heater. So um, I actually started taking lessons and working on my game. <laughs> like, it's like the Janela effect. Everyone's grinding out. 
this this life in Southern California, living near Goat Hill Park, under the tutelage of a guy like Dean Wilson, getting fit at places like TaylorMade and Titleist. Shipnuck is he's like he's <laughs> dust in the wind. <laughs> God, Janella is the DeChambeau of this group, uh, and I guess Shipnuck is the Rory McIlroy. <laughs> well, we'll have to go and play sometime, but we had a big week in golf with the Players' Championship. A lot of good storylines. What is one thing that stood out to you before we get into some of the headlines? Alan, do you want to start? Yeah, well, I mean, Teddy mentioning Rory, that that that's a big deal that he just came out and said, I'm totally lost. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, it was Clear if you're watching, we had no idea where the ball was going. He had the dreaded two-way miss, which is that's how you wind up, uh, you know, on the mini tours if you're a professional golfer. And so, uh, with the Masters coming, and you know, Rory's going to look up and realize that he's frittered away a lot of his prime years, and it's it's disconcerting. I mean, we're going on now seven years since his last major championship victory, and he was playing so well in 2019, it felt like he'd kind of found it again. And pandemic golf wasn't good for Rory; he seemed kind of flat, and now he's. Uh, as, as Teddy Lou do, he's kind of chasing the Bryson and, you know, the, the best player in golf, everyone copies him. It's not the other way around. And, you know, for Rory to be um, looking for inspiration from others is, is really a problem. I mean, this is like a, one of the greatest drivers of the golf ball ever. And to, to be led astray um, trying to trying to do a Bryson is, is really, it tells you a little bit about where Rory is mentally. Like he just needs to do his stuff. Like that's good enough. Uh, so, you know, his struggles, I think, with, and what it means going forward this year, Ryder Cup year, all of it is, is a big deal. I mean, obviously, uh, what, what Justin did and Lee and, and, and Bryson, we'll get to that. But uh, that was one of my takeaways for sure. It was just not only that Rory played poorly, but that he actually seems totally lost. Were you surprised that he openly admitted that he's chasing distance and trying to change his swing to be more like a Bryson DeChambeau. I know Rory is so open and honest, but as a competitor, I don't know if I would want to admit that to the media and my playing competitors and show that weakness that I couldn't do what Bryson did and actually messed me up. And I don't know if I like that move from Rory. I love how honest he is, but I just thought that was a little bit strange. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Rory's almost too smart and sensitive to be a professional golfer. You know, <laughs> you're better, you're better off being kind of dumb. And uh, I don't, I don't want to talk about any particular players who might you know, be six foot four and long arms. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, voters on the cover of cigar aficionado, but it's like the, the simpler you keep it, the better. Um, and um, you know, Rory's just in his own head a lot. He's reading all these self-help books uh, you know, he's, he's like, he's on this sort of quest for self-fulfillment, which big picture is great. I mean, but I think it's affecting him as a tournament golfer. And so, uh, I, maybe he's happier away from the golf course, but he's, he definitely seems like, um, he's this, you know, bearded old guy on top of a mountain with, trying to figure it out. And it's just, it's not working. One other takeaway page for me was Lee Westwood. Didn't seem to go for the flag on 17, three putted. That got me nervous because I had him at 19 to one for a top five. So I'm like, Lee, come on, dude, grind. And then he, uh, you know, he sinks the birdie putt on 18. But it doesn't matter solo though. Second. <laughs> it doesn't matter. He kind of fist pumps. I appreciated it, but I thought that was maybe not the best look considering his reputation as a guy who makes jillions and jillions of dollars, but hasn't won that many titles. Yeah, I thought that was a little bit weird. Matt, any takeaways from you? I, I just love the Lee Westwood story in general. As a guy, 
in his late forties who, you know, as we said, we started covering, in covering golf in 1995. feel like I've been covering Lee Westwood, you know, like we cover, uh, you know, all these other guys that, you know, the Mickelsons and the Tigers and the Ernie's and he's still going. I mean, he's a back to back seconds competing against these guys who hit it so far, having fun, sort of mocking DeChambeau at Bay Hill. And then, <laughs> you know, I, I, I tweeted it out, but you know, I, uh, Lee Westwood is, is a, is a 49ers fan. I'm a 49er fan. We've always had kind of that as a, as a connection, uh, whether it be face-to-face or social media. I went to the Turkish open in 2013 and I was sitting there and we, we were having a couple uh, drinks, uh, you know, it kind of when you're at the Turkish open, you're, it's, you know, you're all together. You're, you're hanging with the players. And I came back, you know, I, I, I had a, pretty intimate conversation with Lee Westwood, who was not happy, not happy in life, not happy on the golf course. I came back and told golf channel, uh, you know, some of the producers back there, I go, man, I think, I really think Lee Westwood's about to retire from the game of golf. I I'm, I'm, we're not, can't, we can't go to press with that, but I, you know, he, he basically said that to me, he was uh, the travel, he was tired, he was exhausted, you know, and I think he was dealing with some, some, you know, some stuff in his marriage to see him do what he's doing now with those smiles in the place that he's at. It just goes to show like, you know, these guys are always dealing with something else off the course. And, and I marvel at how they're able to compartmentalize and, and, and move on or, or have some success even in spite of that stuff. Well, in some cases people give into that and, and they, they never, they're never able to figure it out. To see Westwood do what he's doing now and and having all this success across multiple um, decades, I just think it's really impressive. I can't help but root for the guy. Um, it's certainly a, a cool sort of subplot to a lot of very cool things happening in the world of golf. So I don't know. It, I would have loved to see him win. Give nothing but respect to JT. And uh, and I, I would anybody be shocked if Westwood has a, is in contention at Augusta given his tracker there i think it would be you know this this is going to be something that keeps going i just gonna say Paige, I, we should give jt a little more love because that was i don't think he missed a shot on the weekend i mean he was absolutely flushing it and 14 victories at his age i mean fred couples had 15 his whole career and he's a revered figure in the game like i mean jt is doing some and they've been high quality victories we're talking about world golf championships playoff events now the players of course the pga championship I mean, he's, he's already punched his ticket to the Hall of Fame and he's just getting started. So, uh, it, you know, you, you talked about those, those crafty little hooks he, he was hitting. I mean, uh, Teddy, like the thing about when I watch, when I watch Justin Thomas play, like he has shots other players just do not have. There, there, there's a wow factor to his game. Um, and, you know, his iron players spectacular. There's, he really has no weakness, but he can do things other guys can't or won't or afraid to try. And it's, it's really fun to watch. And that, that was you know, that was a tremendous performance that overcoming adversity. I'm not sure that's quite the right framing. I mean, it's more I like, was going to ask about that yeah. because I am seeing a ton of comments on social media, like rise above JT, like wait, yeah. you know, fight through it. I'm like, is that the right message that we should be sending? I mean, of course, if you make a mistake that you should be able to fix your wrongdoings and come out on top. But again, it's like, what has he actually done? He hasn't donated any money. He hasn't, you know, been proactive with any organizations. 
I just almost feel like people are feeling bad for him. Yet this is something that he said. And I know I'm going to get a ton of hate because <laughs> people don't agree with that. And I'm, I'm proud of him that he overcame that. But again, it's like, what did he overcome? Something that he said? Like, it's it was his his fault. Well, I would say what, what he suffered was consequences. And that, you know, that that's how it worked. But mixed up in there, you know, his grandfather did die. And that, that was a very important yeah. relationship to him. And um, a mentor. And, you know, we, we know the, the, the Thomas men, how, how golf has kind of run through their, their lives. So uh, it was kind of a double whammy. Um, certainly the, the, the controversy was of his own making and uh, whatever he suffered from that was self-inflicted, but having his grandfather die on top of that, and that's rough. You got it. You know, the guy was hurting. And, um, and even the stuff with tiger, I mean, he's probably tiger's best friend right now. I mean, look who tiger pairs himself with at the team event, who he plays his practice rounds with. So, and, you know, Justin's obviously close with Charlie and, uh, and all that. So I think it was, you know, it's been a hard stretch now. Um, so you have to give him his due. I mean, he fought through all that. I, I know there was some heckling going on out there. There was a lot of stuff floating around in social media. I mean, um, courage is not the right word, but he definitely showed, showed some heart. And, uh, and it, if he can, if he can win one of the best tournaments of the year with all that floating around now that he's probably has a clear mind going forward. I mean, it's interesting to see what he might accomplish. It's the human element that makes the, the victories uh, meaningful. You know, the hugs with Tiger and his dad and his son, Ben Crenshaw doubled over on the green, you know, Phil winning the Masters for Amy. Like none of those moments have any meaning with, without the human element. And so, um, you know, it, for, for, for Justin or anyone else to say, oh, it's, it's not fair to talk about what he's, uh, you know, it, that's just not reality. Like that, that actually made the victory more compelling. So, yeah, he, he wants to put all that in his rearview mirror, but... Uh, it's it's fair game, my page. I don't think you deserve any hate. I mean, it's a valid it's a valid criticism of the way we we frame things and we build people up. And uh, you know, he as you say, Ted, like losing your your polo sponsorship. If that's the worst thing that happens to Justin Thomas in his career, he's probably going to be okay. At the time it happened, and his apology, and the fact that it was he didn't say it to anybody other than himself, and the idea that. If he was homophobic, would he have even been, been with Polo Ralph Lauren in the first place? I was like, you know, I just, I just didn't, I didn't buy it, and I, and I certainly appreciated his apology and his seemingly self reflection to say, I, I need to be better, I need to do better, you know, whether, you know, and and my my thing was, I thought Polo Ralph Lauren, if this really mattered to them, this would have been an opportunity for them to actually sit down with them and do some, you know, educating as relates with you know, Justin Thomas, it seemed clear to me that they just wanted out from underneath whatever the contract is that they had, whatever the reasons were. Um, and, and certainly don't, you know, I, I certainly don't think that that was something he had to overcome. It's not like the money really matters to him at this point. I think the bigger issues are, you know, to your points, uh, Tiger, his grandfather, and just, just the game of golf in general, which is, which is not easy and to win. And the, and I, I think you're right on to, to say what he's done and how impressive it is what he's done. Some crazy stat of since the last time Jordan Spieth won a major and what Justin Thomas has accomplished is the, the numbers are bonkers. Um, and I think that if you're betting on one of these young guns and, and the longevity and, you know, what they're going to accomplish over the course of time, He's got to be sort of the odds-on favorite, Teddy, um, uh, on a guy I, I who's going to, you. <laughs> uh, you know, get, get the numbers um, in terms of wins, majors, because he does he really doesn't have any weakness. And for him to be able to have the 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 strength um, 
and 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 be in the tutelage of a guy like Tiger Woods. This guy is this guy is not going away anytime soon. Speaking of hot mics, we had an amazing moment with Jordan Spieth hitting into Rory Sabatini, and that exchange back and forth was incredible. Are you guys a fan of hot mics? Do you not like hot mics? Because I'm like, give give it to me. I want more of that. The hotter, the better. Um, <laughs> my only concern is when these get so much attention if the mics are going to cool, either that the players are finally going to, you know, be like Dustin Johnson and just grunt a little bit uh, and not give us anything or that the players council will get the tour to, uh, to turn them off. But the stuff with Sabatini was hilarious, but I feel like what got less attention was the stuff about uh, Colin Morikawa's girlfriend, Kat. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. I believe there was a FaceTime call mentioned at the end of that. The interesting thing is, as you say, is when that video went up of, of Jordan and, and, and Rory Sabatini, what was the over under for when the video got pulled off the internet by the tour? I was thinking 20 minutes. It actually lasted <laughs> about four hours, which is, is remarkable. Um, but yeah, it's, this, this is what the, the PJ tour just doesn't get is the, they want to build these players up to be larger than life and, and the perfect gentleman to, to quote slugger, right? Slugger white. And what, what fans want is authenticity and realness and the hot mics is a great portal into that world. And uh, I mean, they should, they should have them all over the course. Um, but of course there is, it's that fear of pulling Justin Thomas where you, you, you lose a lifetime of goodwill for one, one slip up. And so for the players, the stakes are too high they don't want them, and ultimately they're gonna they're gonna get their way. But I think we just gotta we have to enjoy the little stolen moments, like uh, Patrick Cantley, you know, at Kapalua a couple of years ago, talking about the Mai Tais, and because they're rare, it's so rare that you can penetrate the the shield of, of the PGA Tour's wholesomeness um, that they're trying to sell us. And but we know who these players are. We've hung out with them. Like we know what they're really like. And so the, the hot mics just give you a little glimpse once in a while. What would be really cool is if you know think about NFL films or getting into the huddle with with coaches on the nba sidelines or the you know ncaa and being able to you know capture a lot of what's happening out there and being able to cut it in a way you know it's not real time but it's pretty close and be you know if there was somebody in the tour who was willing to acknowledge all of what you guys are just talking about and 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 create content around it um that you know did celebrate the the reality of what's happening and the authenticity of these people and and develop you know the characters it would actually go a long way to truly growing the game and certainly growing not only the individual brands but the big brand in general and so you know hopefully that's eventually where we end up why do you think there's so much hesitation from the tour to keep these videos up and these sound bites? Because there was nothing wrong with that video. I thought it was very funny. It's very cheeky and people loved it. I mean, it was very shareable content. You saw the engagement engagement was outrageous. And of course you have like an instant with Justin Thomas, but that, I mean, that should never even happen in the first place. If a guy can't say a homophobic or a racial sh- slur and that's why they don't want to have the hot mic, like, 
come on. I mean, this is, this is nothing. This is fun. This is great. We want to build those personalities. Why the hesitation? Well, who's got the power? Is it going to be the players? Are they going to be able to nix this and pull the plug? Um, or is it going to be the tour that absolutely is looking at it and saying, man, at 11 a.m. Uh, on a Sunday, everybody is talking about this. And it's not even because somebody made a birdie or an eagle or, or, or you know, hit a cold top, but everybody's talking about what Jordan Spieth is saying. So hopefully what will win out is the lure of those eyeballs and uh, social media versus, you know, the sensitivity issue. That, that must be a rhetorical question, Teddy, because the players are the tour. They have all the power. And Jay Monahan is just their butler. He's just there Ouch. to do what they want him to do. I mean, it's just a fact. Like the players are the tour and everything they, they, they set the policy um, whether that's widely acknowledged or not. And so, um, you know, Monahan, it, it's like, like Roger Goodell works for the owners, right. Jay Monahan works for the players. And so uh, if they don't want the mic, he's, he's not, he's not, that's not the hill he's going to die. So on. what's but, the prediction? Do you think this will continue? Well, I think, I think they're going to, there, there's going to be more vetting of what gets posted there's a, the seven second delay is going to turn into about seven hours and it's going to go through a whole subcommittee and you'll, you know, you'll get, you'll get speed talking to Greller right. about, about a seven iron, which is also interesting, but anything that's, that could hurt any feelings or ruffle any feathers. Cause to your point, what, what was the problem with that video? Well, Rory Sabatini, uh, I'm sure it hurt his feelings and it kind of put out in the open that most players don't like him. And, you know, he's going to be pissed off about that and he's going to complain and that voice will be heard. So uh, now we all loved it, but Rory and his agent, uh, you know, I'm sure they're they're like up in Monahan's business right now. And um, that that carries the day generally in Ponte Future Beach, unfortunately. But why are we protecting them if like because they didn't say that Rory that they don't like Rory. They said that Sabatini doesn't like anyone else. <laughs> so I didn't even think it reflected that poorly on him. It just kind of shows his personality. And it's like, there are good people and bad people. I don't think it should be like, they're all great and protect them. I, I think that's, that's not, a, that, that's bad. But the tour, that's not the product of tour. The tour is selling the product. Yeah. They're all great people. And everyone wants to play in a pro-am with every guy because they're still going to try and get, you know, $20,000 ahead to play with Roy Sabatini at Pebble Beach. And if it's out there that he's, he's kind of a dick. That's a, that's a problem <laughs> for the business model. So, uh, you know, you, you're, you're absolutely right on the merits page. But the, the fact is the tour is always trying to protect every player. And that's just how it goes. I just feel like this is a this is all sort of a systemic issue with the game of golf in general, which I know we're also probably going to get to at some point, but you know, it's not just a tour issue. This is, you know, what, what the game is bumping up against right now is, is a lot of the stuff it needed to be bumping up against in, or it has been sort of bumping up against you, but then also suppressing, which is just a general cultural uh, embrace of, you know, different looks, different personalities, different clothes, different fat, you know, I mean, you know, a hoodie can cause a problem uh, on the PGA tour, you know, like <laughs> we're talking about, you know what I mean? This is this. And, and I, and I, and I think COVID and technology and all of this is really forcing a lot of, you know, hard and fast conversations that almost 
quite frankly, the tour can't really even keep up with. Uh, I don't know anybody can. Uh, you know, I, I, I think to myself of, of just sort of what Sawgrass is and that whole, you know, institution. And then I, you know, here at Goat Hill Park, where, you know, the, you know, everything is welcome, everything's open, dogs, kids, you know, every color, every race, every size, every shape, you know, I think it, um, we're headed for some really cool uh, phase of the game of golf, if people are just willing to not try to control it and just let it happen. And uh, people are going to gravitate to private clubs if they want a private club experience. So, you know, if the, all this needs to just, we just need to stop trying to nitpick and control everything and let it just be. I mean, yeah, as you say, Matt, there, there's sort of this cultural war going on in golf between the old way and the new way. And the PGA Tour cannot decide which side <laughs> it's on as a product. Well, the USDA struggles with it. Augusta struggles with it. You know, the PGA of America, they're all going, they're all struggling with it in their own way. And, 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 and we're watching it all unfold in real time. Yeah, no, it's interesting. There's a lot of, there's a lot of tension there for sure. And embracing sports betting. I mean, who knew that the tour would throw in the way it has like that, that counts as progress, but um, there's they're still, especially from a media and a social media, yeah, no doubt. As far as the product they're trying to, to sell though, I mean, they're, they're clinging to, to the old version as hard as they can. We all know the guys on tour. We know who the good guys are, who the bad guys are, but then they're always protecting. They're still getting these big sponsorship deals. And I'm like, that's that's not fair. I think you should see everyone for who they are. And you'll get the bigger personalities, which you need to drive the tour, especially with Tiger. We don't know if he's going to come back. Like, we need that. We need some kind of entertainment because at the end of the day, this is entertainment. We're, we need to watch these guys and we need to know who they are. We know their personalities. We need to like them. And for Sabatini, I think people are going to want to play with him because he's a dick, because he's funny and people like want that. You need the villains. You need the, the kind of the bad boys of golf. And there's none of that right now. We want different personalities. We want, you know, Bryson, this weird combination of both macho and a scientist and now Westwood has this nice element, you know, where his caddy is his girlfriend and he's smiling the whole time and JT has had uh, all sorts of stuff going on this year that we've touched on. So hopefully the tour will embrace that and, and say, Hey, we got all different types of personalities here in the hot mics, show them off. Well, speaking of Lee Westwood, who is a fan favorite, I think everyone was rooting for him on Sunday. He once again, lost it. That has been a criticism of Lee Westwood where you just can't seem to close out the big tournaments. Do you guys think that he lost the tournament or that it's just an achievement to be at his age in contention and finishing well? Both. Both. I mean, it's, you know, where there's so much I was listening yesterday, so so much is made of his ball striking and how he leans on that, you know, and that was, that was just wasn't the case over the weekend. And it, and it was actually the putter is what kept a minute, you know, which, which is the opposite. You know, I, I think you just got a guy who, um, you know, uh, is in a great place off the course. It's translating into uh, success on the course. You know, he says he really, you know, he's playing cause he doesn't care and he's making a ton of money and he's in this sort of the, the twilight of, 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 of his competitive abilities and it's coming and going in a lot of different ways, shapes, and forms. I don't know. I, I, you know, uh, again, Justin Thomas needed to do what he needed to do to actually beat him. Um, otherwise, you know, he was second best for two weeks in a row <laughs> uh, and got beat by two bona fide, you know, uh, legitimate stars. So um, there's only one winner every week. And I think, you know, it's, 
it's pretty damn good what he's done. And there's a lot of golf left for the rest of the year. Westwood's comments about um, he didn't have his legs on, on Sunday and just felt his body didn't feel right. And, you know, I'm exactly the same age as Lee Westwood. I can totally relate to that. And, um, uh, you know, I, I thought it was honest and it was, it was revealing. Like, it, um, he's, not, he's not in a Tiger situation where the back is, is such a question mark. But to, tournament golf is a grind. I mean, and to, to be in contention two weeks in a row on a really challenging golf course, that takes a lot out of you emotionally, spiritually, uh, but also physically. And uh, so I, I think it speaks to how impressive the achievement is that he just th- keeps throwing himself in there. But, um, you know, if he, those, some of those, those squirrely misses to the right, like Westwood just doesn't do that. He's, he he does, doesn't miss the club face like that. And so I think that was honest that his, he just, he didn't, he couldn't drive with his legs. He didn't quite feel right over the ball. And um, as you said, Matt, he hung in there and he, he, he was a pretty grindy round and it was impressive. And, uh, but yeah, to be fully optimized guy, half your age, like, like a Bryson or, or a Justin, that, that's a big ask, but it is a Ryder cup year. And of course, Westwood is rounding into form. So uh, he'll be dangerous. You know, if he plays three matches, it's going to be tough to be, you know, um, at whistling straight. So uh, I think you got to tip your cap, but also acknowledge that he let two good chances get away. And at his age, they're, not, they're not, it's just not going to be that many more. Is this going to be a new matchup with Bryson and Lee Westwood in the Ryder Cup? And Al, I got to ask you about this because <laughs> <laughs> Europeans seem to hate you when it comes to the Ryder Cup. What what did you say? And then do you think this mm-hmm. Lee Bryson matchup is going to be successful? Yeah. The, the bitter irony is that I've always rooted for Europe in the Ryder Cup because it's, it's just more fun when, when Europe wins and the hand wringing and the, the recriminations and the anguish on the u.s side is just fun to write about and uh, you know we know the europeans in general are a livelier more fun bunch we, we see that on social media and elsewhere so um but heading into paris i wrote this column saying that i really felt like the balance of power had shifted dramatically when you look at the the core of the u.s team like all these guys are young multi you know major championship winners and they're just studs right and the European team, the core is getting old. You know, Sergio and Justin Rose and and Stenson, um, you know Westwood, Poulter. Like all, those guys are all in the twilight of their career. So, uh, and of course, you know the U.S. It was a blowout in 2016 when they won. I felt like if they could win in, in Paris, they were going to go on a run and win, you know, five out of six cups or something like that. And but it was an opinion piece and I wrote it a little over the top to provoke a reaction, which is the whole point of, you know, an opinion piece. And to say the least, it provoked a, a reaction. And of course, then the U.S. went over and laid an egg and just played, I mean, embarrassed themselves and me. <laughs> I, I had more at stake in Paris than anybody on that team. And, um, and so uh, some of the European players had some fun in the press conference, you know, razzing me and that, that's fair play. I deserved it. And I, I think hate's too strong a word paid. I think it's more, um, uh, we enjoy the banter <laughs> and, um, and it's, it's part of the, part of the fun of that event is, you know, passions get inflamed and, uh, but definitely Sunday night in Paris. I mean, well, you could relate because I was getting a thousand mentions. Like, <laughs> I can relate because people minutes. hate me too. Yeah, I totally get it. <laughs> no, no, I mean, the no, I <laughs> that's, just a, that's an average day for yeah. you, but like it was, the entire continent was up in my business. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it was fun. Like I enjoyed it, but it was uh, for sure. I, I, I took some shrapnel, but I, it's a long-term prediction. I still think it's going to come true. I mean, when, um, you know, the U S is still poised. The problem is the dysfunction on the team. Like, 
you don't expect Brooks and Dustin to get in a brawl and Patrick Reed to detonate the team room and all the other weirdness that, um, that sabotages what's, what's overwhelmingly talented team. And so, you know, the Europeans have that special sauce where they, they play well together they have the chemistry and it's hard to account for that. But um, I, without a doubt, the U S is going to have a, a better roster for the next five Ryder cups, whether that translates to victories, you know, who knows? I'm, I'm willing to use the word hate because Alan, I hated you for about five minutes there because I was going to bet on the euros and then you convinced me sadly <laughs> to bet on the U S and I think they were even favorites. I think I laid like minus one forty or something. And by Friday afternoon, I was like, what, what was that? I know Alan, he was just writing this to be a jackass and to get attention. I can't believe I uh, got suckered into this bet. <laughs> It was not to get attention. I actually believed it, but you know, I might turn the volume up a little bit on some of the pros. I mean, hey, if you're swinging for the fences, occasionally you're just going to whiff. That was clearly happening. Babe Ruth, absolutely. It's too early. Let's check back in ten years and see how it works. That's not how betting works, my friend. Nice try. I don't know if you've ever felt this, Teddy, but, you know, sometimes I, I often think, man, it's it's hard being Alan's friend sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away. Yeah, like it's like sometimes I'm like, oh, man, no, Alan, no, I can't believe again. Like, I'm your friend. We're in it for the long haul, but he's just, I'm going to take a little break on the social aspect. I'm just going to sort of squirrel away and pretend like I'm not looking at this. <sighs> what can I say? Speaking of betting, my name of bet hit, which I was really excited about, over 48 golf balls in the water on 17 hit fairly early Thursday round, 35 golf balls in the water. Insane. I mean, that hole was playing just wild. And thanks to Ben on, which helped you out this week, right? Paige, I was so mad at myself early Thursday. So I created a name of bet for, for points bet, as do you. Yours had a great price. 150 boosted to 175 on water balls. And as I was watching all this carnage Thursday, I was like, I can't believe I forgot to put in on pages. But fortunately, there was another bet out there. The odds were 150 to 1 that a player would make a double-digit score on 17. So... um I can't technically bet on points bet, but my wife is able to. So let's go back real quick to the Masters where there was that same bet on whether Tiger would make a 10 or worse, and he did. The wager at that point was $1. So the Greenstein family collected 150 for that. So this time, the wife put $10 on this at the same 150 to 1 odds. And uh, I thought Kevin Na was going to do it, but then Kevin Na actually holed out for an 8, so that had me in a funk. And then I'm watching Ben on make an absolute disaster of the hole and trying to figure out how many shots he's got. And I ask on Twitter and then I look on uh, the PGA tours website and I see a number eight in the drop zone. So I'm like, Oh my God, this is really going to happen. And then he posted an 11. So $1,500. Um, thanks for it. Made for a very happy weekend. Can't believe that you're so open about how you're skirting the rules of your employers and sucking <laughs> your, your poor bride into your scheme here. Like, she is not poor, my friend. Isn't anyone paying attention in the corporate office? You're like flouting the rules here, Teddy. I specifically asked, I said, everybody is my wife allowed to have a points bet account? And the answer was yes. And this is how we proceed, Alan. It doesn't feel right. I don't know. 
she's a great gambler. I mean, she kills it on these prop bets. It's really impressive. Yeah, why should Teddy's job have any impact on his poor <laughs> wife's ability to sort of make some sidecats? Yeah, you know, actually, one of the greatest um, scams I ever pulled in my journalism career was 2004 Open Championship. I, I talked my bosses at Sports Illustrated and giving me a thousand pounds to bet with, and um, I went and talked to every caddy, every player, every street <laughs> wow, coach. I mean, talk about insider trading. It was totally unethical. How'd you do? Well, I couldn't keep the money. So I was, I'd lost about 300 pounds going into the final day. So I did, I did a six person parlay, you know, they have the, the, the two balls and you just pick who's going to have the lowest score. And I talking to my editor, Jim Harry, he said, if you win 15,000 pounds, we'll take the, we'll take all the golf staff to Bandon dunes for like a, a boondoggle. And I hit the first five. I could not breathe. I was so excited. And the whole press tent kind of knew what was going on at that point because I've been talking all week about this. I, and so the last two ball, it was, it was Nick Price and Jumbo Ozaki. And they were within one stroke the whole – no, I'm sorry, KJ Choi and Nick Price. They were within one stroke like pretty much the whole day. And it came down to 18. They were tied. And, I, and I'm doing interviews. I'm trying to do something. I ran out <laughs> to the green, and I see this ball just roll up to the clubhouse at Troon, which is OB. And if that's KJ Choi, we're going to Bandon Dunes. And, but nobody knew who, who struck the shot. You know, it was just kind of early in the day. People weren't paying attention. And so I'm watching their body language, and they could not tell. And they're both – one ball's on the green and one's behind it. And, like, for it was the longest minute of my life. I, that, was, that was the only way to find out was who's going to walk to the back of the clubhouse and retrieve their, their stinky out-of-bounds shot. And, of course, it was Nick Price who I'd bet on, so we lost. And – thousand pounds gone of SI's money, but, uh, it was the, it was honestly the most fun I've ever had at a golf tournament. That was, that's what ended SI right there. <laughs> <laughs> so along those lines, are you guys allowed to bet on golf? Do you bet on golf? What's, what's the status for both of you? I don't, I don't even know what the rules are, um, because clearly we have access to information that the general public does not, um, but I'm not really a gambler at heart, so I haven't pushed it. I've, I've really only bet during the Open because that was when it was so accessible. And obviously, the landscape has changed dramatically here in the last year or two. So I might have to, I might have to dig in. And worst case, I'll start Venmoing to your wife. And we'll, <laughs> <laughs> we can both use the workaround. <laughs> we, we, take, we take just five points, off, five points off the top. So absolutely. That's, yeah, that's very fair. That's, that's very fair. fair. Yeah. I've won. I've won several. I've I've cashed out, you know, thousands of dollars worth of bets on golf over the years. Most notably at Aaron Hills, I was, I was there to do a a, a feature for Golf Channel on on um, on on Bob Lang, the guy who sort of lost it, lost the ownership, and and Ricky Brooks Kepka's caddy, and I was just sort of having a conversation about Ireland and Ireland golf and. And uh, Northern Ireland specifically. And I said, well, how's your guy this week? What do we get? And he goes up. He's never hit the driver farther and straighter than he is right now. Well, I, I put some money on. Kept going to end up getting like thirty, you know, $3,500 there. Sergio's cage rattled by his <laughs> father-in-law. Picked up like four grand there. You know, like little, little tidbits like that. You know how I bet, Teddy. So I've obviously lost some too, but I definitely have cashed out uh, some pretty sizable checks. Well, everyone needs to go check out Points Bet. We're going to take a break right now. And when we come back from break, Matt and Alan have an exciting new venture that we're going to talk about.
and we are back and we're going to talk about golf media and the ever-changing landscape and matt and alan you have an exciting announcement well i mean you know um alan is it will do a better job of sort of articulating the the backstory but at the end of the day um you know february 1st we launched the fire pit collective my partner alex who peggy and i who uh, has been my producer, was a producer for over 120 stories at the Golf Channel. I was there for uh, the eight-year run. And um, we built this out, Fire Pit Collective, the hub of storytelling, a place where people come to listen to or tell stories. We had the verticals built out. We had the concept of including the Fire Pit podcast and then bringing back the ambush, which I'd done at Golf Digest, was celebrating the buddies' trips. And um and meanwhile, talking a lot to Alan about what was happening and the timing. And we've talked about um, for years sort of just being frustrated or um, concerned about who we report to and the leadership and the vision of major media and watching. Meanwhile, while sort of garage band production companies have and brands have have you know forged their way into into the space and now being distribution being everywhere um at the end of the day the timing has 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 been perfect and uh we've you know we haven't played we haven't worn the same jersey since sports illustrated since the since the 90s and uh and so it felt like it was the right time and uh the right opportunity and so uh one plus one equals three as mike kaiser has always said about uh the building of golf courses and so with alan and i and uh, Alex, and with a, a future and a vision of even um, creating more partnerships within the within the sort of modern media space, uh, we're teamed up again, and 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 Shipnuck is officially part of the Fire Pit Collective. Yeah, that that was a lot of foreplay. I mean, you gotta you gotta close the deal a little faster than that. But yeah, um, <laughs> no, it's it's very exciting. So I've, I've come on as a as, as a co partner, and we're just gonna build our own golf media company and do it our way. Um, you know, it's, it's been a quarter century. We both have been on the beat and we worked for a lot of legacy media companies and we've, we've watched them falter and we, we've observed that there's a better way to do it. And um, I think we've, at various times we've, we've sort of been oppressed by our, our corporate overlords and uh, we just want to, we want to do things our way and it, it's exciting. So, um, you know, we're, it started out as this was going to be a platform for, for, for Matt and Matt's video storytelling and podcasts. And I would do the same things. And it would also be a platform for all my writing, you know, weekly columns, long form event coverage. Um, but we also have this larger vision where we can bring a lot of other people in. And as we've talked to some folks that we think would be great contributors, we're finding is they're in the exact same situation where they're dying to be free and, and tell stories they, they, the way they want to tell them. And there's this whole energy that we, we uh, were feeling. And so very quickly, I, the vision is just kind of growing and um, we're talking lots of would be investors and, and all that. And we really, um, you know, it, it's, it's a soft opening in that we're still, we're still finalizing the website and getting the other pieces in place. But, but I think in a matter of months, we're going to be going gangbusters. And uh, it's, it's really exciting for both of us to, directly be able to shape how things are going to look and sound and feel. I mean, for just an example is, you know, going back to CNNSI.com, the, the first website I was writing for in 1997 and uh, through, through the, all those that followed the reading experience has been 
really distracting would be the most polite word that I, I could come up with. You're just assaulted by pop-up videos and ads and embedded links. And, you know, I'll, I'll put a three or 4,000 word story there. You, you want it to be like a immersive experience. You want to get lost in what you're reading. It's really hard to do the way most websites are constructed. And so now it's like the first time in my life I can say, you know what? I don't want any of that stuff on my story. Like I want it to be clean. I want it to look good. <laughs> it's like, okay, uh, then it's done. And I mean, Matt and I have a joke. Like our pitch meetings are like, hey, I want to do this. Approved. Hey, we should do this. Approved. It takes like 10 seconds. <laughs> and, you know, our old lives, it was weeks of emails and and conference calls and and having to deal with the, the bean counters. And now it's like, oh, you want to do that? Go do it. And so, I mean, I think we're both a little giddy at what, what this could uh, grow into for ourselves and, and also other people that we want to bring in as part of the collective. So incredibly excited for you guys. And yeah, whatever like MBA nerd decided that people wanted, you know, a video playing uh, while people are trying, somebody's trying to read a story. I don't like that person very much because he or she has ruined it. Uh, for a long time. And now you do see websites that are going back to how it started, which is people are there to read the story or, or, or to take in the specific video, something that, you know, Matt will have directed um, as opposed to these annoying video players. So Alan, it sounds like what you're describing is like what you were saying with the PGA tour. You guys won't have a Jay Monahan. You guys will be deciding the content and um, stripping away all the, all the crap that we don't want. Yeah. It's also the inefficiencies too that um, that I've I've noticed for years. You know, I, I the the I've always said a lot of times I'd I'd spend five days and on out on a story and you know we kill a cow and we only eat the fillet and you know and and that drove me crazy because I'd come back and be like hey we got this we got that we can break that out that can be a sub feature will it let you know. Yeah, we can put it in there. Let's make that a podcast. You know, and they look at me like I got three heads. Like, no, that's not going to happen. Let's stay. Let's. This is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. This is what we're getting paid for. The lack of uh, ability to uh, maneuver, be nimble, it really allowed for. That's why we have Barstool uh, and, and credit to, you know, even, you know, Paige, no laying up, uh, you know, all these, uh, you know, all these people have infiltrated um, this empty space uh, out of out of the inefficiencies of major media. That's what has afforded not to mention the technology and the distribution. You know, that's where I'm saying the rubber has met the road. And um, instead of just sort of sitting idly by and being frustrated and watching it all unfold and feel like, wait, come on, we, we got to get in there. We got to get this, you know, I, we're there now we're there and we have that ability to um, do what we want to do and how we want to do it in all the different, you know, we're just Alan and I at the base, at the, at the core of who we are, we just love good stories. Then we're going to figure out how to repurpose those in every different way, shape, form, and length of time so that we are everywhere. The, the big, I watched, you know, golf. I watched Sports Illustrated die. I watched Golf Digest try to figure out the future. I've watched Golf Channel now try to figure out the future. Everybody's trying to figure out where, what, what do we need to do to be, can be, you have to be everywhere. You have to have, you know, the written word, the, the produced, you know, short, long form video, the podcast form. Let people consume it everywhere, every way, shape, or form, and they'll find it. Well, I got to ask you guys, because 
there's a lot of punk ass kids like me in digital media world right now. And I almost feel like we think we know best. We've kind of come in. We've never had a boss. I've only worked with one publication. I was fired within two months because I said something I wasn't supposed to say. And I've always just done things my own way. And I think at times I can be a bit cocky or bullish. And it's probably the same way with no laying up and foreplay. How do you guys feel about us coming in and and almost discrediting what you guys have done in the print world and call you like old man media when you're not, you were the pioneers and we're just taking what you're doing and we put it in a digital form. Has that been frustrating for you guys? Well, I, I give, you know, all the, all the enterprising young uh, pioneers a lot of credit because uh, it's energized the golf media in a huge way. And I'm not that old, but I'm kind of a dinosaur. And so, um, but I did, I, I have tried to adapt. Some of my colleagues in the press room still think it's, you know, 1998 and they just want to go and write one story for their newspaper or, or whomever. And uh, the world has just changed. I mean, you, you have to do everything. You sort of have to be a five tool player. And um, I, I enjoy that challenge, but I, I still venerate the written word and there's very few people writing kind of long features anymore. It's just a dying art. Is that, that's one thing that I like about this, uh, this collaboration because Matt is great at the images, you know, video and photography. And he's, 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 he's moved into podcasts and really, you know, telling stories and kind of a rich fashion, with a lot of different voices. Um, but when, when, when you look at, at these, uh, at these upstarts, there's not a lot of typing, you know, it's, it's more video, it's more podcast. And so, that's one thing I think can be a differentiator is I still want to do what I've always done. And what is um, kind of my strength is, is long features and event coverage and opinion pieces and weekly columns. And so I think that's, that's one thing that's exciting for, for our platform is that we'll have that element but as, 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 and then we'll also have all the new bells and whistles, which you have to have. So uh, I think the fact that uh, I have a little bit of a throwback sensibility is probably a plus, but, um, but yeah, there, there's certainly been this tension um, <laughs> on the golf beat between the old and the new, but the fact is the, the battle's over. I mean, the new way has won. Like, um, so I, I think I think it's mellowed out. I mean, it came to a head a few years ago, maybe, but um, you know, the, the the old time typists have realized that you know we're basically like Kodak selling film when the digital cameras arrive. Like, there's just it's not going to last forever if you don't adapt. Alan, the, the sports media uh, writer in me needs to ask a question. Does this change any of your affiliations? Are you still writing for golf.com? No. So I'm, I, I parted ways with, with golf.com and golf magazine and um, I'm 100% in on, on the fire pit collective. That's, that's going to be asking my home base. Sweet. Um, I, I don't think it's premature just to say that, you know, we have been having some just discussions with discovery TV about um, becoming aligned with them in, in from a, distribution standpoint. And of course they own golf digest and it seems likely I'll, I'll do some typing for digest um, going forward because I do love print. I mean, to me, there's still something special about holding a magazine that's beautifully laid out and, you know, having an eight or 10 page story, like, like everybody else, I read a lot of stuff on my phones and on, on, on my, on my laptop, but I still love magazines too. So um, I would, I would love to do some, some, some longer pieces for them, but in general, um, you know, all my energy is going to be going to, to scroll on the website with, with Matt. And, um, you know, I think 
uh, for sure, my, my days at Golf Magazine are over. We'll, we'll see what develops uh, you know, going forward. Paige, going back to answer your question, you know, my frustration uh, and anxiety has always been so much more towards my employer than it has to the people who are actually the pioneers. You know, my frustration was like, are you not seeing what's happening? Do you not see that this is this is growing and we are shrinking? This needs to be addressed. We need to bring them in the fold or hire them and be a part of our team. Or, you know, in theory, like basically ignore them completely because, you know, a lot of times they were coming on our network, building their <laughs> brand, you know, like, I mean, it was like, uh, hello, <laughs> what is happening? You know, my, my, and that's, that's why this is so liberating and exciting to me is, you know, and that's, that's why I've always been, you know, quite frankly, supportive of you, Paige. I've always totally respect and supported no laying up, barstool, uh, rigs. I think, you know, that energy and enthusiasm for the game of golf, who cares if they do a story and I say, uh, you know, I did do that uh, 12 years ago, you know, it's like, uh, oh, wow, they just now discovered that Ireland is really cool for golf. Like, you know, I mean, you know this is, uh, you know, I, I mean, um, and it's like, but that's, that's not even like, I, there were guys, you know, Ron Witten probably thought that about me as I went out and sort of discovered the, the game of golf and started playing these courses. And he was always super supportive and more of a mentor to me than, than he was resentful. And I've always really respected that. And so um, I give them a lot of respect and I tend to get respect back. And um, I, I, I'm excited to sort of, I, you know, stay in our lane, so to speak, whatever that lane is and speak to an audience that quite frankly, I feel has, has been abandoned within the new media space um, and is not being addressed. Um, not everybody is a millennial. Yeah. Not everybody is, you know, you know, a lot of people, I read all of my stuff on my phone and I'm in my upper forties. So I'm, that's who I'm going to stay true to my audience and, and, and be, you know, be as committed to that kind of storytelling as I ever have been, if not more. Why do you think there's so much hesitation within the companies that you were working for previously that they didn't want to grow and expand and accept that digital media is the new landscape? I always found that very frustrating. I still find it very frustrating that we'll, you know, try to work with new companies and they don't they don't get it. And we have all of the data right in front of their faces. You could either get 100,000 people or you get 3 million eyes on it and they still don't understand it. I don't, why do you think that they're so scared to move forward and take that next step? Is it because they're, they don't know how to do it and they're okay with what they're doing? Or I've never figured that out and I don't know why they're huge companies. They are powerful. They have all this money to do so. And they're not using their resources to create really awesome content. Yeah, but how old is the CEO of, of these companies? <laughs> and how, how old is the CFO? And, you know, even at these, at these media organizations, they have, they have these bloated staffs where you have all these upper management types and, the the highest paid people in the organization, but they're not producing any content. And then you have all the business people who are 
chasing an ever shrinking pool of would be advertisers trying to buy these expensive pages in a magazine or whatever else they're selling. And the whole business model is kind of set up for those folks. And then way down below in the org chart, you have actually the content <laughs> creators who are the ones that are putting the stuff out there and, and, and making what, what people are consuming. And so it's, it's almost like the, the whole hierarchy is upside down. And, um, you know, I think decision-making will change as, I mean, you look at Teddy, Matt and I, like we're now sort of the old white guys in the <laughs> scenario. Like we're getting, we're, we're aging into that, into that Don't demographic laugh, of the Don't people. Who, I know, you know, we, we kind of get it, but the generation that's older than us doesn't really. And so I, I think that, you know, th- there will be an acceptance of that the landscape has changed, but you still, you know, power is concentrated at the top of a lot of these organizations and some of it's generational. Some of it is just inertia. I, it, to answer your question, it's hard to understand because these people are in the business of making money, right? And so you think they would they would adapt, but um, they're they're slow to do so. Uh, Alan, I don't know if I've ever asked you about your story dated uh, February 1, 2017, which was about Paige. So I want to do it now in this public forum. What was it like uh, reporting that piece? Were you happy how it turned out? Yeah, and that's an interesting example because... Um, trying to sell that to some of the, some of my bosses, like they, they didn't really get it. They were like, you know, is, is this, is this a real, is this a real story? Is there enough there? Just, I said, yes. Like, like you, you may not understand, but Paige has like this army behind her and is growing every day and try to understand what she's tapped into and why she's an important person in the golf landscape. Like it, it took a lot of, of selling internally. And even then I, you know, I could sort of, feel the eye rolls. I was like, just let me like go do the story that I think is there. And if you don't like it, we don't have to print it. But, um, and so, yeah, as far as doing, I mean, it was, it was, it was, I think it was kind of an interesting point in Paige's career where she was already ascendant, but still trying to find her footing in, in, uh, in the golf world. And so, um, you know, but to take her seriously, not as a, as a, you know, something to be objectified, but to, to understand like, what is, what is, what is she tapped into here and why is she important? And I mean, to tell her story a little more completely, like, you know, we had a lot of, we talked about, you know, junior golf and <laughs> her childhood and, and all that stuff. And I, I think, you know, that page is really, you know, honest and, and real. And um, I think story kind of reflected that. So yeah, I was really happy how it came out and um, but I, I can't speak to Paige's feelings exactly, but uh, I, th- I think it was, it was the right story at the right time. Yeah, I mean, it was a, I would say it's like a turning point in my career when I almost stopped playing full time and transitioned into media work. And like you were saying, Alan, every single time we try to pitch my brand or a potential project, it's eye rolls everywhere. No one ever takes me seriously. And of course, you can look at the pictures that I post. But behind that, there's a podcast. There's a successful Twitter account. There's an army of people on Instagram. And I have built this up and even my YouTube. And no one ever takes me seriously. And it's been so frustrating because, again, we have all the data. We have all the numbers. And they only just look at me superficially. And they never go into what I've accomplished, I mean, out of golf writers or people in the golf media industry, 
I'm actually probably one of the best players. Sorry, guys, but it's true. Like, I actually did play professionally, and I played junior golf at a high level, and I had a, you know, a Division One scholarship, full-ride scholarship to play, yet no one thinks I know anything about golf, and that has been the hardest thing and the most fr- frustrating thing. And even when we talk about pioneers in digital media, I'm not the first person you think of. You think of Barstool, you think of no laying up, and then there's a lot of other people, and then maybe I'm at the bottom of the list, and that has been something that has been so frustrating for me to try to change that when I feel like I have built a very successful media brand and a company, and even though it's under my own name, it's still it's still successful, and it's to get people to see me a little bit deeper. And that's why I'm so grateful for Alan of taking the time and writing that piece because no one has ever done that before. No one knew anything about me other than, you know, I over-sexualized myself on social media. And so that piece meant a lot to me and he took the time and it was really thoughtful and he spent the whole day with me and my mom and my family and it, it was great. And so it, it really, I think, kind of helped in that progression, but still it's something that I face every single day where people look at me and they just laugh <laughs> at what I do. Paige, the same people who don't get you are probably like my old editor at the Chicago Tribune when I pitched a story on Sand Valley and said I'd actually be able to play with Mike Kaiser who created it. And he said, nah, it's too far away from Chicago. People will never drive there. <laughs> so I think we all face people in our business who just yet don't get it. Um, but obviously you've proved something to them and the fire pit is going to be amazing with these guys. Well, I, again, I, I think it goes back to where the, the state of the game and this, this collision that's happening on a, on a fairly you know, daily basis of, you know, old guard versus new guard that is happening media that's happening in course ownership operators, um, tourism boards, the whole thing. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's been really, you know, and that, you know, for me to cover this game is the, the stories are endless. Um, they are everywhere. And, 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 you know, you can't take a step without someone saying, Hey, you should do the story. You should do the story. This is, you know, this is my, my main interest and my energy is around the actual coverage of this this cultural phenomenon happening in the game. You know, people saying grow the game. The same people who say grow the game who are also are also the people who are changing the rules or rolling it back or trying to restrict or tell you what you can and can't do. It's like we you do get you can't have it both ways, right? Like are we are we going to grow the, do you really want to grow the game? Because if you really want to grow the game, then be ready for the humps and the bumps and the turbulent landing that we're about to, you know, endure because it's coming. Whether you like it or not, this is happening. And COVID has has really forced the hand of a of a lot of people to sort of say, you know, either get on board or get out of the way. And and I want to be a part of the movement that that continues to run those people over. It's an important moment. Like we all know that 2020 was an all-time record year for rounds played, equipment sold. We've brought millions of people back to golf where they've discovered it for the first time. And and what is the golf world that's waiting for them? And how can we compel them to stick around when you know they have other options for their time and their money? And you know the, the hoodie debates, the all this stuff. It, it's such an eye roll because you think about you know people are new to the game; they don't even they can't even comprehend what we're arguing about. And it's embarrassing. Like, can we all just move, can we just move on that, 
you know, the, the restrictive policies at, at country clubs, like all these things, you know, I, I'm sure the four of us in, in our golf lives, it's like, it's like ridiculous. We just go out and play with our friends and we have fun and no one cares what you wear or any of that stuff. If you, play, if you want to play music, play music. If you want to smoke a joint, go ahead. Who cares? But the, um, it's like there's still this huge population of the golf world that we have to reeducate and have to get them to come along with us. And so, I mean, I think what, I think what Paige is, what you've done has, has been helpful for that because you, you made the game fun and like it's presented as like, like a fun athletic thing and you just be yourself. And, you know, I think the sports betting is part of that. I think that's what Matt and I want to tap into as well. Like these are, we're just going to tell fun stories that, that are, people are going to be into and without worrying about all the, all the rest. And so there's, there's, there's sort of this battle for the soul of, of golf and it, it's, it's been going on for a long time, but it's become a little more apparent. And I think the four of us are on the right side of it. Um, and we could probably make a long list of those who are, are in opposition, but uh, I think as long as we're just doing our thing, we're having fun and we're bringing fans along for the ride. I, I think that's all we can do. And it's probably enough. So where, where can everyone find all of this amazing content that you guys are going to be putting out for the fire pit? Pretty fluid situation, you know. I mentioned Alex, my partner, and I. We've we've been grinding over, uh, you know, developing this the, these verticals and the platforms and the partnerships and the, you know, firepitcollective.com. We had launched it February first. Well, we're we're back under the hood. We're basically taking a, a, a mulligan on the <laughs> whole situation, adding Alan, and then this this grander plan has forced us to sort of start all over. It's still going to be firepitcollective.com. I'm still grinding on season two of the, the fire pit podcast, which will launch uh, master's week. We launched season one master's week last year. It'll be uh, master's week this year, um, which, which will actually include a master's, which is exciting. Um, and, uh, and then Alan is, you know, you know, feverishly, you know, building his, you know, I said, you know, like this, this is the bar. So Eric and Nardini, I met with her. She's like, we, we like to get brands and basically let them do what they do. Who are we to say? So it's, you know, Alan is going to get total freedom, just like anybody else we partner with to actually do and say and write and chase what's what they're passionate about. What a concept. Send them to Matt. It's like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so it's, um, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot in the works. Uh, as I said, it's kind of us. We wanted to announce it just to put it out there. Cause I've, you know, I haven't, I haven't had a byline in 2020. Basically people have been asking like, what are you doing? What's going on? <laughs> and we just, we just want to make it public, but we're still, we're still ramping up, but for sure there'll be a fire hose of, of good stuff coming uh, in, in the next weeks and months and decades. And yeah. So the fire pit collective will be, will be the, will be the platform for it all. That's so exciting. I cannot wait to see. I'm proud of you guys for stepping away from what you're doing. I know how restricting it was. It's so frustrating when you want to create this content that means so much to you and you have someone else telling you no. And they don't ever give you a good reason why it's a no. It's just not... It's just a no. And it was always so frustrating. And I've loved creating my own content. I think that's something that's been really important to me is to not have any bosses tell me what to do because that's how you build that following and create something that's a little different and special. So I cannot wait to follow along with you guys while you're creating all this amazing content. And thank you so much for joining us today. It was truly our pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having us. That was great fun. Yeah. This, can we do this every week? This is super cool. 
<laughs> I, you know, you know what I think of you, Teddy. You know what I think of you, Paige. And Alan and I, we're, we're going to take our rivalry under the, you know, back to the, you know, essentially wear the same uniform, which kind of, you know, snuffs out the rivalry. And we get to, we get to channel it in other ways and shapes and forms. Super exciting and, and certainly appreciate your support. Okay, guys, we cannot do an episode without some TNA, so let's just get right into it. Question number one is, my girlfriend and I are fresh out of college and are looking to make our first move outside where we went to school. We both grew up, live in St. Louis area. We work in industries that are available in every major city and are open to moving literally anywhere in the U.S. What is your elevator pitch as to why your city is the best place to move? Uh move to and start our adult lives. So I currently live in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I absolutely love it. I moved here, one, because my parents didn't want to live in snowy Colorado anymore. So while I was still in college, they made the move here full time. And so this just became home. And at the time I was playing professionally. So you have amazing weather all year round. You never have to shovel sunshine, as I tell everyone. Golf courses, on literally every single block. It's like Starbucks. As you look one way, there's another golf course, another golf course. So if you love golf, Arizona is the place to be. Great hiking trails and a good mix of people as well, too. You have the young college community with ASU and U of A. Then you also have the snowbirds that come in, really family-oriented. So you can really find a place that fits well for you. But I'm actually going to be moving to Denver, Colorado, which I am also excited about because I grew up in Colorado. That's home for me. So my pitch for Colorado is um, great outdoor area, really growing. A lot of the tech companies are moving from San Francisco and New York now into Denver, which makes it a little bit more expensive, but it's really growing and it has such an amazing energy. Every time I go downtown now, The restaurants are outrageous now. There's always a new fun place that you can go. Nightlife is amazing. So after all of this COVID stuff hits, it's going to be great to go out there. And just Arizona is a little bit older sometimes. And so it's hard for me to make friends who are around my age. I'm 27 right now. So they're either a little bit too young or a little bit too old. And when I go to Colorado, um, there's just a lot of people, like-minded people who are into a healthy lifestyle, working out outside. Um, It's just so much fun. So I can't wait to go back to Colorado. So those are my two pitches for Arizona and Colorado. Can't go wrong with either of them. And then question number two is what three individual words would you most hope people would use to describe you? Oh, this one is a tricky one. I would say, ooh, I would say courageous. I want people to see me as someone who takes risks, someone who isn't afraid of what other people think. And I think I have done that in my career. It's something I'm still working on. But I I want to be a pioneer in my space and I don't want to follow what other people are doing. And that takes a lot of courage to do so. I, you guys heard me talk about this a lot, but I have been an outcast in the golf media industry 
And it takes a lot of courage every single day to wake up, stick to your guns, do what you think is right, and to persevere through all of the negativity and all of the people doubting you and everyone telling you that what you're doing is wrong. And it's difficult at times, but I would say being courageous is one of the words. Another one is positive. I hope that I'm a positive light in your life. I think that life is hard and you have so many people taking from you and bringing you down. And I hope that I'm someone who actually gives to your life and who makes your life a little bit better. Either it's a stupid video that I post on Instagram or this podcast, just putting a smile on your face and making life a little bit better. And I think the last word would be determined. I... I've been raised to have a pretty strong work ethic and determination is one of those core values that my parents have instilled with me that you have to work as hard as you possibly can. You have to be determined because life's going to kick you down. You have to keep getting back up over and over and over again. And that's difficult. There's so many days where I am not feeling confident or I'm not feeling good or I don't want to work hard, but I push through it and that takes a lot of determination and anyone who has determination, you know, you have to have that to be successful in life. And so I would say those are probably the three things that three words I hope people would describe me as. Um, It's probably not the three words that people do describe me as, but that's what I'm striving for every single day. I think I want to be seen as something other than just my image. And that takes a lot of time and work. And I think you have seen that now with the podcast and the direction that it's going, having more substance to what I'm doing and expanding my brand, not just from Instagram to YouTube, doing instructions on YouTube and Twitter and the podcast and everything else. And that has taken a lot of determination to fight through all of that because I could easily get an OnlyFans and make a lot of money and be done. But I don't want to do that. I want to be more than that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with women who who go that way. But I want to prove to myself that it's I'm not successful just because of the way I look. It's more to me. There's more substance to me. And I'm making those steps in the direction to do that with my content and the people that I align myself with and always progressing and being better. And I think that's every, that's something that all of us need to work towards is like, we have our goals. Let's work towards them. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be days where you don't want to do it, but you got to be determined to push through it. So Those are my positive thoughts of the day. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I want to thank Matt and Alan for coming on and Teddy, as always, for being an amazing co-host. So hope you guys enjoyed and you can catch us next time. Follow Playing Around with Paige Renee on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. 